to the Tech Policy Podcast, your source for policy rants and raves from tech freedom, your Washington, D.C. advocate for the freedom to tinker and innovate. I'm Evan Schwartz-Traber, your host. On today's show, the internet in Africa. Joining me to discuss it is Evelyn Smith, a research associate at the American Enterprise Institute's Center for Internet Communications and Technology Policy. She is an editor of techpolicydaily.com, where you can check out some of her work. Evelyn, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me on the show. So in the United States, the vast majority of people have access to high-speed internet, and that includes uh, fixed broadband uh, that you get for your cable company or wireless options too. And it's fair to say that a lot of people probably take that for granted because there are still around 4 billion people in the world who don't have access to the internet, many of them in Africa. And that's much of the focus of your work. So what's the state of play of the internet in Africa today? Well, when we think about the internet in Africa, I think there are three important things to consider. Um, the first is that, yes, there is a relatively low percentage of people who are currently online. We're looking at about one in five people in Africa, 20%. That's 15 percentage points below the average for the developing world as a whole and a full 40 points below the U.S. average. Uh, but another point of optimism would be that there's a really high rate of growth in those numbers. So over the next five years, according to GSMA, we can expect mobile broadband subscriptions in Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa, to more than double. The number of smartphones is expected to more than triple, and we should see about $72 billion of investment in the region for mobile deployment. So it's clearly on the upswing, and what are the factors that are driving the adoption trends and the deployment trends? Like, why is this happening now? Well, I think the important thing to take note of is that Africa is an enormous continent. It's huge. I think, what is it, the Mercator projection that kind of belies how big it is? It's massive. And the majority of the population in Africa lives in rural regions, so about 60%, compared to the United States, where only 15% of our population resides in rural areas. Right. And you and I both know how hard it is to deploy broadband, any kind of internet, really, in rural areas. Um, so... You know, that's a really big challenge, but um, when you think of comparing fixed to mobile broadband, mobile's far more easy to deploy in uh, rural regions. It's as opposed to digging up and putting in cables to connect all of these dispersed populations, what you can do is buy a spectrum, establish some towers. You know, it's still expensive, it's still difficult to deploy, but it's not nearly as difficult as deploying fixed broadband. Yeah, and in contrast to the way that the FCC views internet in the United States, uh, where we have a lot of us have the option of having a fixed connection, like through a cable provider or a fiber mm -hmm. provider, and also the mobile option, the FCC, in a lot of its regulatory work, doesn't really see wireless as a viable substitute to wireline broadband, whereas Africa, looking at the difficulties of deploying fiber in you know remote Saharan areas, is clearly embracing mobile. There's, there's clearly a difference there, and it'd be interesting if our FCC would have the same attitude towards wireless that Africa is. Yeah, I, I think we could benefit from taking a more comprehensive view of both mobile and fixed broadband as being a viable option for rural areas. So what's the role that regulation in Africa plays in either encouraging deployment, in hindering deployment? Have, have things like the net neutrality movement in the United States trickled over to Africa? Well, that's a fascinating point of contrast because net neutrality is not really an idea or a regulatory concept that has really uh, been established in Africa. There's only one country in Africa with net neutrality regulations on the books, and that's Tunisia. 
South Africa is looking into establishing net neutrality regulations, but really it's, it's on the whole, it's pretty irrelevant. The more important issue for uh, broadband deployment is autocratic governments. Um, and I think the best way to illustrate this is to compare Ethiopia to South Africa. So Ethiopia has one telecommunications provider. It's Ethio Telecom. It's state-run. Um, Ethiopia has a lot of state-run corporations, their airline, their banks, their insurance, they're all state-run. And Ethio Telecom essentially exists as a cash cow for the government, which is really autocratic. Um, and because there's no competition, we see exactly what we would expect. There's really low quality. The network is really unreliable. There are high prices. There are very few people who can afford to get online. And as a result, we see a 4% broadband penetration rate. Oh, wow. There are only 10 countries that are worse than that. So they beat uh, North Korea, but not by a huge margin. Good for them. When you're in that company, uh, <laughs> that's not a good sign. No, no, it's not. Um, and... In addition to uh, deployment issues, we also see a lot of censorship, and we also see that the government has kind of turned the internet into this massive weapon of surveillance. Um, so according to Freedom House, Ethiopia was one of the first nations in Africa to censor the internet. Uh, the government regularly blocks and filters content. They monitor what's put online. They have a really vague anti-terrorism statute by which they can jail dissident journalists, sometimes for decades. Um, and in terms of surveillance, according to uh, the Human Rights Foundation, the government has established a five to one policy by which for every five people in Africa, there is one government official who's assigned to surveil their activity on telecommunications networks. So, you know, they literally record phone calls, intimate phone calls that you have with your family, any website that you visit. It's very it's monitored in a very detailed way. By the government. So the environments are obviously very different. In the United yeah. States last year, you had a big flare up over net neutrality, and that's really getting to the heart of how private internet companies manage traffic on their networks. Is it treated equally? Is there no blocking? Is there no discrimination? And what you're suggesting is that Africa's got much bigger problems to deal with when it comes to the internet. They're dealing with censorship, they're dealing with human rights violations, and maybe they just don't have the luxury of caring about an amorphous principle like net neutrality yeah. when, is it correct to say only one in five people in Africa are connected? Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. So assume that all of these positive trends in mobile deployment in Africa continue and the continent gets more and more connected. Do you think things like the net neutrality movement will then be more relevant or not? Um, you know, I think that's a hard thing for me to predict at the moment. It's possible that that could be the case. I think, um, Given the different ways that the internet is being deployed and being regulated, the precedents that are being set are very different. Um, so it's it's hard to say. I don't know how that will turn out, but it's certainly something to pay attention to. So as you have pointed out, mobile is really what's happening in Africa because of the difficulty of deploying cable and fiber. Mm -hmm. What sort of innovation are we seeing in Africa's mobile market with like applications, for example? Uh, so this is one of those uh, topics that I get frustrated about because there's so many reasons to be optimistic about the innovation, the investment, um, the types of activity that we're seeing in application development in Africa, and nobody is talking about it. Uh, so I'm going to talk about it. Uh, yes, that's why you're here today. Yeah. <laughs> so in 2014, we saw almost half a billion dollars of venture capital investment in Africa. By 2018, that number is expected to grow by 50%. Um, and there's three industries that I want to highlight. The first is finance. So mobile banking and mobile money applications is are huge in Africa. 
Uh, about one in 10 people in Africa have a mobile banking account, which might not sound like a lot, but it's about five to 10 times more than the average for the rest of the world. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the one example of a service is that's really popular is M-Pesa. Um, this service allows people to withdraw or deposit money, transfer money, pay bills, even take out microloans. And the significance of this is that it provides much needed credit and liquidity. Um, in uh, severely underbanked regions, which is a huge foundation for economic development and commerce. Another industry that's seen, you know, applications of mobile, uh, mobile in a very useful way would be agriculture. Now, agriculture is crucial to Africa. It right. makes up about a third of its GDP. So to have mobile applications in this area is really good. Um, Tico Kalimo, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, <laughs> provides agronomic tips, market information, weather forecasts, all by text messages to farmers in Af Africa. Um, and finally, health. So there's two applications that I think are super interesting. The first is mPedigree, which allows people to authenticate the prescriptions that they receive via text message. And according to mPedigree's website, counterfeit medicine, the trade in counterfeit medicine is worth something like $700 billion, which sounds like a lot. I don't know if that's... That does sound like a that lot. Sounds, <laughs> maybe, you know, I don't know that's if that's... a industry, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, regardless, the service is saving lives using very simple, very streamlined, low bandwidth applications. And the second application, uh, Mobile Midwife, which is big in Ghana and Nigeria, allows new mothers um, to receive health tips via text message. New fathers get the same information. And the information runs the gamut from hygiene, nutrition, immunization, malaria warning signs. All of this comes straight to their phone. And so the big takeaway here, I think, is that you know innovators in Africa are taking their lemons and making them into lemonade. They're developing applications that can work given the bandwidth constraints that they face. Uh, which I think is a really interesting counter to what's happening in the U.S., where we see edge providers kind of lobbying the government not to have to pay for the bandwidth that they're using, not to have to design their applications in a way so that they can work on low bandwidth connections. Yeah, so let's get into that a bit. What you're really hitting on here is the value of information to people that have just gone so long without it. Mm -hmm. And one of the one of the ways that people in low develop or underdeveloped countries and low income, mostly low income countries are trying to really bring that information to people is through something called zero rating. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, but to, to reflect, to bring listeners up to speed, zero rating is basically a practice where certain applications are either free or exempt from what is traditionally a data cap. So most people in the United States, if they don't have an unlimited plan, they have some amount of data they could use every month, you know, three gigabytes, five gigabytes. And what zero rating does is say, you know, in the T-Mobile example with Ben John, it says you can stream as much Netflix as you want, not count against your data plan. In the United States, we're talking about music and video, but in Africa, we're talking about just basic stuff, really essential information, healthcare for pregnant women, agriculture information for farmers. So a company like Facebook has a program called Free Basics. Where essentially, if you have a cell phone, and these are usually just like cheaply made Android devices, you get a series of basic stuff that can really help you. Now, the problem is, if you take net neutrality at its most extreme version, all internet traffic must be treated exactly the same, no matter what doesn't matter. Then the fact that Facebook exempts the healthcare website, but doesn't exempt some food blogger in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, that's a, that's a violation. 
But, you know, really this is a great... So what's going on with zero rating in Africa? What's the status? Well, as I mentioned earlier, net neutrality writ large is not really a popular concept in Africa. It's not something people really care about or pay attention to. And so, you know, as a consequence, zero rating is also not something that people really take offense to. Um, so it's doing well. It's doing well, yeah. It's Currently, uh, internet.org is in 20 countries in Africa. Um, and just for listeners' edification, internet.org was the previous name of Free Basics, and one of the reasons they rebranded was because they didn't want to mislead people into thinking they were getting the full internet. Right, yeah, yeah. so Free Best Basics, excuse me. Um, yeah, that's in 20 countries in Africa, and it's important because mobile data, even though it's a lot easier to get, it's a lot cheaper, cheaper than fixed broadband, it's still pretty expensive. Yeah. In South Africa, where you have a lot of competition, where you'd expect to see low prices, one gigabit of data still costs about 11 US dollars, which is enough to keep people on offline. Um, but one really cool thing that we've seen in Africa is the Prekelt Foundation, which is an incubator for social change organizations to develop applications that work on the Free Basics platform. Um, so a lot of the applications that I mentioned earlier in the podcast were actually funded and incubated by Prekelt. And um, the important thing here is that counter to kind of the narrative that's coming around zero rating is it, you know, it blocks off competitions, it favors incumbent edge providers, it doesn't allow, allow new services to compete. To the contrary of that, in practice, we've seen zero rating as a way to help, um, you know, startup social change organizations scale and reach millions of new customers and actually do a lot of good. Yeah, and one of the things that um, we had Rosalind Layton, your colleague, mm -hmm. on the podcast, and she mentioned that zero rating, contrary to the attacks on it that are usually made, which is that it leads to discrimination and it will push if you're not included in a program like Bin John, no one's going to ever find out about you. Mm -hmm. But if I asked you right now to name a list of music streaming services, you might say Pandora, Spotify, and then you'd start to not be able to think of any. T-Mobile has 40 providers in its music freedom program, which oh is zero God. rating. So you wouldn't even have heard of those companies if they hadn't done this. So zero rating, in contrast to a lot of the attacks, is a way of small companies to really make a name for themselves. And what we're looking at is really first world problems versus, versus third world problems. Mm -hmm. So in Africa, you know, you've got people benefiting from zero rating, getting essential healthcare information. You might, you could probably do some studies and figure out how many lives are being saved by mm -hmm. the free basics program. And it's an on-ramp. So Facebook says that about 50% of the people who participate in the free stripped down internet then want more. Once they get the taste of the full world, they want the full thing. So they're not doing it to keep people in a walled garden. They're doing it to get them on the internet. But in the United States, we've got academics, self-described consumer advocates saying when T-Mobile downgrades a video stream from 1080p to 480p, that's a consumer harm. Mm -hmm. I mean, could we, so you're, get, <laughs> you're getting a video on DVD quality. Talk about a first world problem. Right. And the problem is that this purism, this ideology is getting exported throughout the world. And you're, you know, in India, Mm -hmm. One in five people connected, similar to Africa. You've got people complaining about zero rating. You don't have the luxury of complaining about things like zero rating when your country's not connected. Right. So that debate might not be that harmful in the United States where everyone has, pretty much everyone has access to really good options. But in Africa, that's just not the case. Right. So do you think that there is a chance that this kind of purism is going to get, is going to filter into Africa the more they deploy internet? You know... I mean, again, I think that's really hard to predict. I think in context, it looks pretty absurd yeah. um, to, you know, rip the only internet access that people have, you know, out of their hands, literally. <laughs> um, so, 
I think, you know, someday data might be as cheap as free, and we could get to the point where debates over zero rating seem absurd for that reason. We're not there yet. And I think in the meantime, uh, to borrow some adjectives from Susan Crawford, it's pernicious and malignant to deny people access and an on-ramp to the internet when that's the only thing that we have right now. And that's the only access, uh, you know, that's a great way to scale access to the internet. Yeah, um, the, the choice is not between the full internet and no internet. It's mm -hmm. between no internet and some internet. Right. And, and some internet for these people is really helpful. And right. it, it's a, it would be a shame if our purism really prevented that from happening. So you've kind of given us the state of play. What's next? What, what's coming in the in Africa's future for the internet? Um, well, to speak of the developing world more broadly, even today, two out of every three internet users resides in the developing world. So the majority of people who are on the internet live there. Um, and there's 4 billion people, as you mentioned at the beginning of, con of the podcast, that are currently offline. Yeah. I prefer to take a, half, a glass half full perspective on that and say that there's a lot of potential for growth. Right. I think in the coming years, we're going to see a lot of innovation, a lot of new applications, a lot of new ideas coming straight out of the developing world and onto the internet. Um, but also, I think that governance matters. I think in coming years, we're going to see a lot of countries who don't necessarily take the rule of law seriously, you know, coming online. And it's really hard to disentangle governance issues from how the Internet gets deployed, how it gets used, you know, whether or not censorship becomes a new norm. Um, so that's certainly something to pay attention to. But on balance, I think that there's a lot of reasons for optimism. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see that as the positive developments in mobile deployment in Africa continue, how governments are going to deal with that. Are mm -hmm. they going to be for a free and open internet like we in America claim to be, but mm. also passed a bunch of regulations recently, but <laughs> that's for another podcast, or are they going to be much more like Russia and China and really be try, try to be in the driver's seat, use it to you know squash dissent, use it to socially engineer you know people's opinions. It'll be interesting to look out for that. Well, that's it for today's show. My guest has been Evelyn Smith, a research associate at the American Enterprise Institute's Center for Internet Communications and Technology Policy. Check out her work on techpolicydaily.com. Follow us at Tech Freedom on Twitter or on facebook.com slash techfreedom. Find this podcast in the iTunes store or on your favorite podcast app. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It will really help us out. Thank you for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax exempt think tank based in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work in tech policy and for more episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.